But if you look at the annals of Catholic saints, the stories are filled with people who are, who once were lost and now were found. And the Catholic Church has always admired that as a story, and certainly they've got one in Dorothy Day. From Religion News Service, this is Beliefs. I'm Bill Baker. Dorothy Day took the very uh, difficult position that she felt as though any form of physical violence as resistance to evil is wrong, that the, that the Gospels, the Gospel of Jesus Christ in her mind, uh, called her to be an ardent pacifist. And this was very problematic for the U.S. government at the time. And then as, as, uh, as that war ended and we got involved in Vietnam, uh, her coming out with, in, in, on behalf of the Catholic Worker magazine to speak out against the war in Vietnam, these were all things that stirred the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover to a tilt. We were, we were, we were actually in confrontation, if everybody remembers, uh, between, uh, between us and the United States and the Soviet Union at that time, the godless communism. And uh, if you couldn't speak out against that, obviously you were with them. Our guest, Martin Doblemeyer, is a documentary filmmaker specializing in content touching on faith, religion, and spirituality. He joined me for a discussion on his recent film, Revolution of the Heart, the Dorothy Day story. There was a woman who died about 40 years ago who was a Catholic convert, an unwed mother, who had had an abortion, was considered by the FBI a subversive, and is now being talked about as a saint. Her name was Dorothy Day. And a great filmmaker and friend of mine, Martin Doblemeyer, recently made a documentary called Revolution of the Heart, the Dorothy Day Story. Martin, welcome to Beliefs. Well, well, thanks for having me, Bill. It's nice to see you again. Thank you. Likewise, likewise. For those people not familiar with Dorothy Day, and there are probably quite a few, tell us about her and give us a little of the background in some detail. Well, uh, Dorothy Day is don't, not to be confused with uh, Dora's Day. That, that was one of the things that happened when the Pope came to Congress and spoke there in 2015. Uh, they came up later on to the Catholic Senator uh, Tim Kaine and asked, well, why is the Pope up here speaking about Doris Day? I think Dorothy Day really is one of the great American figures of the 20th century. She's absolutely fascinating. Uh, she's inspiring. She's courageous. She's fascinating because she really does... Uh, embody these really dispersed ways of living your life. She is both a traditional Catholic in that she uh, attended daily Mass. As you said in the open, she had been a communist, a socialist sympathizer going back to her younger years. But in her mid-20s, she converts to Catholicism and is a very traditional Catholic. So she goes to Mass every day. She prays the rosary every day. She prays to the saints. She studies the lives of the saints. And yet, in in fact, in her daily life, she's a, she's a, a radical. She's absolutely an anarchist at heart. She wants to change systems. She's out there getting arrested. So it's nothing unique for her to get up in the morning, go to mass, and then in the afternoon get arrested and putting her body on the line to actually draw attention to nuclear weapons and the, and the, and the abuse of power in the United States military system. So for me, she becomes a really interesting example of how to live your life with a, a sense of authority, that, that she believed God was calling her to behave in a certain way and she was going to do it without any compromise. She was, uh, in her later life, basically based here in New York uh, area. Uh, who were some of her famous fellow travelers? I know the Berrigans, for those, may, those of you listening may know who 
those brothers were two, uh, I, I call them very liberal, radical Catholic priests, and no, and numbers of other people. Who were her fellow, fellow travelers? Thomas Merton, too, was a, a fellow traveler with her. Um, Christian uh, um, uh, Dayhoke Doherty was a, a fellow traveler with her. She seemed to attract uh, the progressive side of the religious experience. People were constantly looking for her. And In fact, I was just with... Um, the daughter of the great American rabbi, uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. And he told, and the daughter told me that uh, Dorothy Day would come over and have dinner at their house. So, so Abraham Heschel and Dorothy Day were colleagues. They sort of spoke a, a similar language, even though their faith traditions were different. They were, there was a deep friendship between them. So she had the ability, uh, because she spoke truth to power, because she had a, a, a national publication, a magazine, a, a newspaper called the Catholic Worker uh, Newspaper, she was able to, to get the word out to people. People wanted to know. They wanted to write for her publication. They wanted to use her vehicle of expression. And because she was so clear-minded in her understanding of the role of government and what God was calling her to do and, and therefore what the movement was called to do, uh, that people sort of grabbed a hold of Dorothy Day and wouldn't let go. What about the uh, non-Catholic supporters of hers? You mentioned Rabbi Heschel. Who are some of the people from the uh, Protestant community? Well, one of the famous Catholic worker people um, was a fellow by the name of Fritz Eichenberg. If you ever go to the Catholic worker houses, you'll see these extraordinary icons uh, that are done. Uh, they're etchings, really, for, of um, of. Um, of religious heroes, great figures throughout the course of history. Um, he, was, he was a Quaker, uh, but he was moved by Dorothy Day's um, notion of pacifism. It totally fit with his politics. And uh, he took to Dorothy Day and became one of the famed artists within the Dorothy Day uh, Catholic worker community. And I think that's in some ways uh, became his most memorable contribution. He was a great artist unto his own. But uh, when she recognized his gift— and how it could be used to advance the, the cause of the, of the Catholic worker movement, um, she, she would not let go. She, she got him into the fold, and, uh, and, he, and, and Fritz Eichenberg was a, a follower of Dorothy Day for the rest of his life. You mentioned the Catholic worker. Now, we should talk uh, about that and peel it back. There's the Catholic worker that she started uh, as a newspaper, which led ultimately to the other Catholic worker, which were these houses that— uh, help the poor and uh, people who who needed help. Uh, uh, so let's talk about both of those. Well, she does begin the magazine first. And the real influence for this is a, is a, um, is a really interesting French character who was uh, a generation her senior. His name was Peter Morin. Uh, born in France, came to the United States, uh, was an itinerant worker, but he had studied with his whole life, studied the uh, the Catholic, the, the notion of Catholic social teaching. He was an uh, admirer of the saints and studied their lives. He, he walked, they said he walked around with pockets full of handouts about saint, the lives of saints, and he was just this really curious character. He engages with Dorothy Day in the, uh, in, uh, right at the, the beginning of 1933, and captures her imagination. She's a journalist at heart. That's how she thinks about the world. She's writing for socialist newspapers and publications, magazines. Uh, but when he is able to sort of line up for her the connection between Catholic social teaching uh, 
and the possibility of the transformation of the world. At a time when uh, of the Great Depression, when there are millions of people who are out of work, looking for jobs, de- literally desperate, he says, let's start a newspaper. Let's get the word out about this, what, what's, what the changes that have to be made. Let's speak truth to power. And she begins that process. She's the really one who picks it up and runs with it. And then very shortly afterwards, uh, people are coming to her saying, well, you're writing in the newspaper about houses of hospitality, how there's a need to actually take care of the, the poor within your midst. How are you doing that? And she realized that what she was doing was writing about it, but she, in fact, wasn't providing the space and the needs that people had, the immediate needs they had. Uh, So she went right out and got her first apartment and started to take care of the poor, started to open up these uh, soup kitchens that we would call soup kitchens today. And within a couple of years, she's literally feeding thousands of people. Uh, And she she just – it just takes off from there. There was not any shortage of the need of, you know, basic minimal care for people who were unemployed and desperate at the time. So she opens up these houses and they just take off. So when she dies in 1980 – uh, there are uh, about 30 houses called the Catholic Worker Houses of Hospitality. Uh, All over America? All over America and outside America. And today, and today, uh, there are more than 200. So the houses, even though religious communities in the United States have continued to decline, as they have around the world, the, the idea of providing basic care under the name of the Catholic Worker Banner, Houses of Hospitality, continues to grow. Now, how are the uh, Catholic worker houses of hospitality different from other places that try to do the same, the soup kitchens, the, uh, some religiously affiliated, some affiliated with government and other and charities? Well, that's a good question. I mean, because in some ways they aren't all that different, except that each one that calls itself a Catholic worker house, of which there are now more than 200, identify with, the, with, the, uh, with Dorothy Day and the Catholic worker tradition. So it's not simply feeding the hungry and taking care of the people and occasionally being able to house people, uh, but it's also buying into the whole ethos of what it means to be a Catholic worker, which is that you're resisting the growth uh, of nuclear weapons. You're, you're pacifist at heart, which is what the Catholic worker movement always was at its heart as, as a pacifist movement. But today they continue to expand into other issues. They're very pro, you know, in support of the vi- uh, environment all across the country. And so it's bigger than simply feeding people. But now people are talking about, you know, the immigrants, what's happening with immigrants in this country. So they've taken on a whole broad spectrum of giant political, uh, social and political issues, in addition to the fact that on a simple day-to-day basis, they feed people and, 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 and take care of the, those who need a place to stay. Uh, we talk about Catholic Worker as originally a newspaper, then these houses uh, of help uh, now all over the world. But in, the, I guess, the 1930s, uh, uh, Cardinal Spellman, who was then the most powerful Catholic cleric in, uh, in America, uh, went to Dorothy Day and said, don't use the name Catholic. You're not affiliated with us. You know, that's the curious thing, Bill, because, I mean, throughout the course of time, she had made this decision back in 1933. She was going to call both the newspaper and the Houses of Hospitality, the Catholic Worker Movement, the Catholic Worker Houses and the Catholic Worker Paper. Um, For some people, that was great. Uh, They clearly identified who they wanted to speak to. Um, But for others, who especially people in the leadership of the Catholic Church, that wasn't always that was always what they were looking forward to because they didn't want other people branding the word Catholic. Uh, But she made no bones about it. She was going to offer a Catholic vision of caring for those in in need and to speak truth to power uh, that she felt as though she was well within her rights to do. And 
And uh, there's a line in the film uh, spoken by a, a, a wonderful, um, a, a wonderful writer and thinker. Her name is Joan Chittister, who said, "You taught us how to be Catholic. Now, and now you gave us this direction as a Catholic Church institutionally. Don't tell us we're not Catholic." We're doing it because we believe this is what the Catholic Church should be doing. And, and in fact, time and time again, she was showing the Catholic Church where, in fact, it was failing, where it wasn't actually out there on the streets meeting the needs of people, where, in fact, there were immigrants that were in, in the 1930s when she begins these homes. So many of the people who were showing up needing just a meal or someplace to stay were the recent immigrants coming from Catholic countries, you know, Ireland, they're coming from Italy, Poland. And so she was there to meet them, and she saw in them, she said this many times, she saw in them the face of God. And she felt as though this is the response that God's calling me to do. And she essentially was saying, parenthetically, where's the church? The church should be here doing exactly this. She uh, herself voluntarily became poor. uh, And the people around her all did the same. She didn't have to do that, but she lived the way the poor that she helped lived. And so many people that I've talked to um, who do wonderful charitable work, uh, when they hear that Dorothy Day had challenged them and said basically, you know, you can't, you, you can't leave your nice, comfortable environment, go out in the morning, take care of poor people, and then go back home to your comfortable environment and really be faithful to what it is you're doing. Uh, I, I've spent some time with Roman Catholic nuns. There's a wonderful nun in the film. Her name is Sister Simone Campbell of Network. And she was shamed when she had Dorothy Day come and who has said basically that. You can't get up in the morning, leave the comfort of a nice home, uh, somewhat in the lap of luxury, and go off and do these wonderful things for poor people, and then go back to the comforts of your home later on. Why don't you live with the people that you're meant to serve? And uh, that, that made a deep impression on these people. That's what she believed you're supposed to do. Not only care for the people, but if you don't want to, you don't want to care for them from on high. You want to be able to take care of them and support them and, and love them and live like they live. This film is really quite special. In this film, you found some amazing people to discuss Dorothy Day. You didn't discuss her. These people did. Tell us about some of the folks, please, that, that really impressed you and what they had to say. Well, part of, um, part of the process of making a documentary film is once the research and I decide on the themes, then I have to decide on who are the people that can help me articulate this. I write the scripts, but I also spend – I do all the interviews for the, for the films. And so the people that you choose to interview for the films really will, in the end, help shape the movie that you come up with. So uh, one of the people interviewed in the film is um, the actor Martin Sheen, who was at one period in his life a poor working actor in New York – and was so grateful that the Catholic worker was there. He didn't know who Dorothy Day was at first. He just know, he knew he needed a meal, and they were there to take care of him, and he so appreciated that that he was willing to come on and be part of this film. Cornell West, um, who I think is one of the most brilliant public theologians in America today, um, really wanted to come on. I've worked with Cornell in the past. He's, he's just absolutely terrific. Uh, we have the two granddaughters of Dorothy Day in the film, Kate Hennessy and her sister, Martha Hennessy. Um, both of them, in this, in their, 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 their grandchildren of Dorothy Day, grew up in the environment of Dorothy Day's legacy, uh, but at the same time are very different people. Uh, Kate Hennessy is a writer, a brilliant writer. Her book about her grandmother is called The World Will Be Saved by Beauty. Uh, from a Dostoevsky line, um, and uh, she's she's really really a, 
a, a special writer. And her sister, Martha Hennessy, is not the writer in the family, uh, but she's the activist in the family. And, and Martha Hennessy now was part of what they call the Plowsharers Seven, uh, who went down in April of 2018, formed a protest at the Trident Nuclear Missile Base in uh, Georgia, uh, were arrested and convicted on seven counts, including criminal trespass and uh, and and now they're waiting the final sentencing. But Martha Hennessy, who's now herself in her 60s, granddaughter of Dorothy Day, uh, is waiting and could receive up to 20 years in prison for that public demonstration against the buildup of nuclear weaponry in the United States, something she feels very much and very strongly about, that that would have been her grandmother's response to what she was hearing. So she's in the film, too, and as Joan Chittister is in the film. Joan Chittister is a, a Roman Catholic nun, a brilliant writer, and somebody I, I just couldn't wait to get 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 involved with the film. And, and Jim Wallace from Sojourners Magazine, the Sojourners community, which I think has a lot of parallels uh, to the Dorothy Day story. So it's just, it's been a lot of fun, a lot of people who were, were friends of mine, but also people that would became new friends as a result of it, of making the film. Uh, we forgot to talk about the other uh, side, uh, which is the U.S. government. Uh, we talked about Cardinal Spellman not speaking for the bureaucracy of the Catholic Church, not being happy with her, but even less happy uh, was the U.S. government, uh, uh, J. Edgar Hoover particularly, who called her a subversive. Will you talk about that side of things? Well, if you can imagine that, uh, especially during the Second World War, which everybody would have thought of as the last great war, unquestionable good and evil, and we're the good and they're evil, uh, but Dorothy Day took the very uh, difficult position that she felt as though any form of physical violence as resistance to evil is wrong, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, in her mind, uh, called her to be an ardent pacifist. And this was very problematic for the U.S. government at the time. And then as, uh, as that war ended and we got involved in Vietnam, uh, her coming out with, on behalf of the Catholic Worker magazine to speak out against the war in Vietnam, these were all things that stirred the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover to a tilt. We were actually in confrontation, if everybody remembers, uh, between us and the United States and the Soviet Union at that time, the godless communism. And uh, if you couldn't speak out against that, obviously you were with them. And that's how, the, that's how J. Edgar Hoover and everybody involved thought of it. If you weren't against them, uh, speaking out publicly against them, you obviously were with them. And that was the last thing that Hoover was going to allow to happen. So he put Dorothy Day this woman who's feeding the hungry and taking care of the poor, on his list of people who were potential subversives and should be under absolute surveillance should there be any sort of major unrest in the United States. Put her on the watch list. And when you think about it in retrospect, it's kind of silly. Uh, But at the same time, uh, at that time when the tensions were so high between the United States and the tensions between the Soviet Union, um, that that was his response. There was concern about that. But J. Edgar Hoover had a lot of people on the FBI watch, watch list. He had Reinhold Niebuhr on the FBI watch list. So he was a little overzealous in the people that he was ca- scared of. What about um, her experiences in prison? Was she in jail very long during the during that period, and how did she deal with that? Well, over a lifetime, she was arrested probably eight, eight or nine times. The first arrest, Bill, happens as a, when she's a young journalist. And she's down, uh, she comes, when I say down, meaning comes from New York to Washington, D.C. 
And she's writing about, and she joins the picket lines in support of women's right to vote, suffrage. And in fact, she is arrested, put in jail, spends the better part of a month in jail where she's beaten severely. Um, and But she's there to, to put her body on the line in support of the right of women to vote. And the great irony is that even though that becomes legislation in, in 1920, the, the right of women to vote, then uh, for the rest of her own life, Dorothy Day, she never voted. And nobody can really under- explain that or go very deep into that. She just simply did not want to participate in the federal systems that, uh, that she was out speaking against. She was an anarchist at heart. So she campaigned for the right for women to vote and then herself never voted. But during the course of her own life later on, certainly she was out every single year protesting. Um, even later on in her life when her health was getting more frail, she seemed more than willing to put her body on the line for what she believed. Let's now discuss where Dorothy Day uh, and her, her memory uh, stand. There's a lot of conversation about sainthood for her. How far has that come, and what are its chances? Well, sainthood is something that uh, a particular characteristic of the Catholic experience. I find it really interesting when I do a lot of press now for the film how non-Catholics are fascinated with the idea of somebody becoming a saint, whatever that means. But Dorothy Day is on the track for sainthood. Uh, There are three hurdles that you have to pass. The first one is called a servant of God. Uh, And she's already been classified as a servant of God, the first step on the way. That was done by uh, then-Cardinal John O'Connor, who was the Catholic Archbishop of, of New York. He submitted her name and uh, so they got past the first hurdle. Uh, the second hurdle is moving towards what they call you know, whether or not she'll be venerable after. Uh, and they hope that if they can, they, they're going through a process now whereby they are collecting everything that Dorothy Day ever wrote, which is, I heard yesterday um, at a presentation that we did, um, that it actually encompasses about 32 square feet of printed material. So this includes all the letters, every manuscript, every every personal letter that she wrote, all the articles. You know, she was writing for the Catholic Worker newspaper for 50 years. So everything she ever wrote has to be cataloged and, and uh, formatted in such a way, and then all of it collected, along with interviews uh, done with people who lived with her and knew her intimately over the course of her, her professional and personal life. And all of that gets boxed up and sent off to Rome. And they hope that that'll happen sometime between uh, the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. Once Rome receives it, then it'll be curated there for a while. They'll, they'll have to certain processes they'll go through. And the hope is that within the next year, two years, three years, who knows? Uh, she will reach the second category, but they also have to come up with a a miracle. They have to sort of come up with a a conclusive miracle that that gets her through the second hurdle. And um, personally, I think she will. I think she maybe not in my lifetime. I think she'll eventually be named a saint, and it, I think that'll be good for America. I think she's a really interesting character to be considered a saint, isn't she? She sure is. Well, you know, especially since she had a known abortion, she had a child out of wedlock. All the things that you think are not uh, uh, traditionally certainly accepted. Yes, and she had run-ins with the Catholic Cardinal of New York. I mean, she and Cardinal Spellman squared off on a number of occasions. That doesn't always get you get you extra points. But she uh, she was a communist, communist sympathizer. Um, her grand, uh, granddaughter will say that she actually was a, car- a proud card-carrying communist for a period of time. So that's all those things have to be weighed carefully. But, in, in, but if you look at the annals of Catholic saints, it's, it, the, the stories are filled with people who, are, who once were lost and now were found. And the Catholic Church has always admired that as a story, and that certainly they've got one in Dorothy Day. 
the punchline is the film. You made this beautiful, really profound movie in many respects. Where will people be able to see it? Well, uh, it's it's going to be released. It's actually a special uh, as a release for public television stations around the country the month of March for Women's History Month. And we're particularly proud of that, that we have an offering for Women's History Month and an offering and a character like Dorothy Day. And people can come to our website, which is journeyfilms.com. And uh, we not only have a, the film available, also, too, we have a whole lot of educational material. We spend as much time in creating educational material so that these films can be used in classrooms and congregations for a long time. Uh, we think that's a, that's a significant part of this overall effort, not just to make the film, but to also get the film used and to facilitate the use of the film for a long time. Marty, you and I have known each other for many, many years, and uh, I've always been very pleased to know you and uh, admired your work. You're one of the few filmmakers uh, left in America who makes films on religious themes. Is that getting harder? Because we know uh, that the subject of religion in general is less popular than it was several decades ago. Why is that the case? And do you see any young filmmakers coming along who who might might re-stimulate that art form? Well, it's not gotten easier, I have to admit that. And also, too, I feel as though uh, we have to make these films in such a way that a general audience will not be put off by a notion of religion or feel in any way, shape, or form that they're being proselytized to. That's the big concern. Uh, And it's a fair concern on the part of public television. We have to make sure that uh, people aren't scared of what it is they think is coming down the line that they're watching. So it's it's not gotten any easier, frankly. But there are young filmmakers that are interested in making because this is, you know, for for me, I always wanted to do this. I've always been doing this because I think this is this this is a format and and a way to address the big macro questions of life. I was with um. I was with a, a team of people at a university a couple of weeks ago. I, I showed the film, Dorothy Day, and then I get to ch- the privilege of meeting with young people in small group dynamics, and we talk about this. And I said, well, why are you majoring in religion? And they said, well, I thought about psychology, and then I thought about sociology. But when it came down to it, religion really asked me the major questions of my life, and that's why I'm majoring in religion. Now, they may not combine religion and filmmaking, which is what I did, uh, but simply the notion of studying in a systematic way how, how they believe the faith traditions are alive and well and working in the world, I think that bodes well. What about other places to put films like yours? Uh, traditionally, public television was the only hope. Uh, is there any other hope for places that might uh, run films of this level of substance? Well, we're staying true to public television. That's been our our path now since we started doing this now 30-plus years ago. Public television has been great to us. Um, it's given me the freedom to be able to make the film that I want to make. Uh, and as long as they accept it, out the door it goes and it gets national di- distribution. Um, and we have not uh, needed to go to else other venues. Uh, there are other there are other, other singular air um, broadcast networks. So there are... For a Catholic film, there could be a Catholic network, a Jewish film, there could be a Jewish network. But for us to be able to reach the widest possible audience, the best place to go is public television. Martin Doblemeyer, who is a, f- a very gifted filmmaker and the producer and director of, of a new movie called Revolution of the Heart, The Dorothy Day Story. Martin, thank you for being here. Thank you, Bill. Our guest was filmmaker and documentarian Martin Doblemeyer. The conversation continues on our Facebook page and 
We tweet at Beliefs Podcast. If you like our program, come review us on iTunes. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jay Woodward is our producer. Production assistance from America Media. The film music is by Edward Billis. I'm Bill Baker. Thank you for listening.